Well, good morning. It's very nice to be here with you this morning. Um, my name is John Westerholm. That was uh, announced earlier. And uh, just a little bit more, my wife and I moved here to Louisville just over a year ago. We have two fully grown mature sons, and uh, they each have one wife. And, uh, and then each of them have three kids, so we have six grandkids, uh, five boys and one granddaughter. I mean, uh, and, and she rules the roost, uh, trust me on that one. But anytime I get the opportunity to share God's Word with anybody, that is my, my privilege. And I'm glad to be here this morning and share God's Word with you. And I'm going to be uh, sharing from Matthew chapter 1. And so if you want to prepare, I would invite you to turn there and follow along. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, many people live life without purpose. Um, that, that's how I was when I grew up. Uh, my dad was a pastor, um, ended up in the Evangelical Free Church, and uh, I, growing up, played basketball a lot, played my trombone a lot, played in bands, uh, went to church, was very involved in church, but I would have to say that my life was just drifting. Uh, my dad would say to me in front of the family, He's asleep. He's sleeping. I, uh, my grades were so low in high school that I couldn't even get into college. I uh, just didn't care about studying, didn't, uh, didn't have any purpose for studying. Why should I study physics? Anybody agree with me on that one? Why study physics? I mean, geometry. I mean, what good are these? Uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, I couldn't get into... Uh, I had one vocational goal, and that was to not be a pastor. That was my, my one vocational goal. Uh, but I, I gradually have come to understand that it is really vital to know why you're doing what you're doing, to have a purpose in life. And so when we moved to Louisville uh, about a year ago, we know why we live where we live. We know why we have the doctors we have. We know why we have the nurses and receptionists that we have all the times that we meet these new doctors as we go for our new medical appointments. And if our future, either one of us, is in the nursing home, we know what our purpose will be for that. So our text this morning is Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It could be that even if you think you've read through the Bible, you skipped this passage because of all the names. So I want us to see in this passage, I want us to see Jesus. That would be my prayer this morning, that as we look at this, that you will see Jesus, and we will see how Jesus meets us in his purpose for our life. This passage shows us six truths about Jesus uh, that, uh, that, that we know. Some of them we know, some of them we may not have ever seen here in this genealogy. Uh, I don't suggest that you try to remember all six of them, but as you see them as we go through the passage, uh, maybe you just make a mark by them and that will help you to remember them. But I want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to be impressed with Jesus. I want you to be impressed with Jesus and you and to see where we fit. So um, I'm going to read through the passage. Yes, I'm going to read all the names out loud so that even if you've never read this passage, today you can say, I've read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy. So you follow along. I'm going to read it a little bit different translation, uh, but you follow along. You'll certainly be able to see where it's going. This is a book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. 
Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, and Judah fathered Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, and Amminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz fathered Obed of Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David the king, and David the king fathered Solomon of her who had been Uriah's wife. And Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and Rehoboam fathered Abijah, and Abijah fathered Asa, and Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, and Joram fathered Uzziah, and Uzziah fathered Jotham, and Jotham fathered Ahaz, and Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, and Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, and Manasseh fathered Ammon, and Ammon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the Babylonian removal. And after the Babylonian removal, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, and Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, and Abiud fathered Eliakim, and Eliakim fathered Azor, and Azor fathered Zadok, and Zadok fathered Achim, and Achim fathered Eliud, and Eliud fathered Eliezer, and Eliezer fathered Matan, and Matan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is named Christ. So there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian removal, and 14 generations from the Babylonian removal to the Christ. Oh Lord, this is your word. I want people to hear your word this morning. And as we hear your word, I want us to see Jesus. And as we see Jesus, I want us to see ourselves in a way that encourages us this week to fulfill your purpose for our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Now, Matthew in his gospel uh, continues the story of the Old Testament that God's going to redeem his people. And so he begins here in verse 1 with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ, Christos, is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. And it means the anointed one, that this one was anointed by God for a mission. So Christ is not so much his name as it is his mission. So the first thing I want us to see about Jesus is Jesus is Messiah. Can you wave at somebody across the other side of the room and tell them, Jesus is Messiah? Out loud. It has to be out loud or they won't hear you, okay? Jesus is Messiah. You got that? Did you hear them? You heard them. Okay. Uh, so Jesus is Messiah, but he's only going to be the Messiah king if he's descended legally from David the king. And so this genealogy is written by Matthew to show that Jesus has the credentials to be the Messiah that, the, that Israel expected. Now, what good is that to us? Well, it shows us that God fulfills his promises. I like the reading that, that these guys did on, our, on the Advent reading this morning, that, that Jesus fulfills, shows that God fulfills his promises that he gave through the prophets. God's blessings to you and me come through Jesus. That fulfills God's promise uh, that he made to Abraham, that he was going to one day bless all the families of the earth through a descendant of Abraham. The prophecy began in Genesis chapter 3. The prophecy was given to Adam and Eve that their offspring would defeat Satan. 
Genesis 12, that it would be a descendant of, De of Abraham, which uh, this genealogy shows. Genesis 49, it would come from, the descendant would come from the tribe of Judah. 2 Samuel chapter 7 would be on the throne of David. Isaiah chapter 7 that we read in the scripture reading, it would be born with a virgin. The virgin would be with child. Micah chapter 5, that this baby would be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus, the Messiah, fulfills all these promises that the Old Testament gave. I can count on God, and you can count on God to keep his word, because he has such a history of keeping his word. When he says something is going to happen, when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And I don't know about you, but I need that stability. I need that stability to know that, okay, there is somebody that when he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen just the way that he says it. First of all, Jesus is Messiah, and he shows us that God will keep his word. Second part is still in verse 1. It says that he is the son of Abraham. Now, by being the son of Abraham, that means that Jesus was born a Jew. So again, tell somebody across the room that Jesus was a Jew. But there's six of these, so okay, you kind of, kind of uh, get into it here. Okay, there's six of these. So if God sends his son to the earth, wouldn't you think that he would send him to Caesar, that he would come as a Roman, that he would be born in Rome, that he'd be born in the palace? But you know the story of Christmas, that Jesus was born to a peasant. There is no nation in history that has been persecuted and abused like the nation of the Israel, the Jews. And Jesus himself suffered and was betrayed by a close friend and rejected by his own people, falsely accused, was beaten, uh, suffered all kinds of pain, and died in a cruel Roman cross. He looked like a dead criminal. But Jesus is a Jew. He feels, he understands, he knows the things that we feel and that we've gone through. We can tell him all that we're going through. We can tell him all that we feel. We can tell him everything that we're going through because he understands he has experienced life like we have. Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way like we are. Jesus is a Jew. He understands one of my favorite things about Jesus, and I used to do this regularly in my office. I would sit in the counselee's chair, and he would sit in my chair, and he would be my counselor, and we would have that conversation because Jesus is a is an understanding and feels the things that I feel. He understands and he cares very much. Well, as the genealogy continues, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ or Messiah, he's the son of David now. The list of names from uh, verse 6, Jesse, the father of David the king, the greatest king in Israel's history, all the way down to verse 11, which was Jeconiah. All of these were kings of Israel, the nation of Israel. Matthew traces uh, down to verse 16, all the way down to verse 16, which says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, was born, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ or Messiah. So the third thing about Jesus, that this genealogy that Matthew wants us to understand, is that Jesus is king. Okay, you ready? Tell somebody across the room, Jesus is king. Oh, you're, that's much better. You're getting much better. Now, we know about some of these kings. We know about David. We know about Solomon. But there's one thing that is true of every single one of these kings that's in this list. Every single one of them failed God and sinned. Every one of them. Whether you take David who committed adultery and murder, or you take Solomon who turned from God to foreign wives and other gods, his son Rehoboam split the kingdom, 
Asa relied on a foreign army instead of God. Uzziah entered the temple and broke out in leprosy. Josiah led a revival of worship of God, but his three sons were so wicked that God finally uh, kept his word to destroy Jerusalem, to burn the temple, and carried people off into Babylon. Verses 11 and 12. And after 600 B.C., no one sat officially on the throne of David, but verse 16 shows us that Joseph the earthly father, the legal father of Jesus, is in this line of David, the king. Chapter 2, verse 2, when the uh, Magi show up, they say, where is he who was born, what? King of the Jews. Where, where is he? Where was he born? Jesus is king. Uh, he rules over all. All the uncertainty that you and I have in our personal lives, all the uncertainty that you may be going through right now as a church, all the uncertainty that we're going through in our country and in our world. Jesus is king and he is sovereign over all of it. Oh, I want you to, I want, I need to understand that. I want you to understand that. When you go out today, Jesus is king. He is in charge of all that's going on in our lives and in our world. I need to remember that. He's king over the the, the leaders, the kings, the presidents, the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, he's king over the Congress, uh, and he is king, and his work, his will, his word is going to be fulfilled. Now, most of the genealogies um, are about the first one in the line. This one's really about the last one in the line. In verse 16, it's about Jesus, and the entire genealogy builds to Jesus. Jesus is the most important one on this list, on this genealogy list. Most genealogies only included men. And most genealogies were to show the purity of the line. But this genealogy, as Matthew has it, he includes five women. Now, you might expect that the women that he would include would be people like the matriarchs, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Leah. But instead, the four women that he mentions are, are not only women, but they are Gentiles. They are outcasts to the Jews. I want you to see these, these uh, women that are in the line of Jesus. Verse 3, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, if you don't know the story of Tamar, you don't have to look it up now, but it's in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar was a Canaanite. She tricked her father-in-law into having sex, and out of that came twin sons, Perez and Zerah. This mom and her sons are in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. I want you to understand that. Next is verse 5, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute in Jericho. She was condemned as a part of the city of Jericho, but she believed the word of God. She hid the spies, and she is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. The next one is verse 5, also, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Now, we think Ruth, well, now, she was a, a pretty neat lady. Ruth was from Moab. Moab was the enemy of Israel. The people of Moab were banned for life. They would never be allowed to come into the temple to worship. But she came back to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she married Boaz. And she, this, this woman from Moab, this Gentile, is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 6, David fathered Solomon, whose mother, had been, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. 
This story is in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where David saw this woman bathing, and he lusted after her, and she gave in, and they committed adultery, and then murdered, he had her husband murdered to try to cover up his sin, even though that man that was murdered, her her husband, was a, a loyal soldier at one of David's 30 mighty men, and the child of that union died, but the next child that they had was Solomon, this Gentile adulteress is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. I want us to understand that and see that because besides being Gentiles, these women were sinners. They were two prostitutes, two adulteresses. This whole sexual sin that's in the line, the genealogy of Jesus, seems to counter the idea of the immaculate conception of Mary after that list. Mary is the fifth woman that is in the list. And uh, she suffered the reputation of sexual sin because she was pregnant and not married. So here we are. We have four Gentile, we have four interracial marriages in the line of the Messiah. Now, I want you to understand, this, this is not some mistake that God says, oh, no, look what's happened down there. Now what am I going to do? And he made up something different. No, this was Gentiles. You and I were a part of God's plan from the beginning of history. Matthew ends his gospel, that the message of the gospel is to go to all the nations. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Revelation chapter 5, one of my favorite pictures in all of the Bible, says, speaking of Jesus, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What what an amazing thing, this, this great and gracious God that we have. So, How is God going to break into this line of all these men, all these kings that were sinners, and of these women who were sinners? I want you to skip down a little bit, down to verse 21. When the angel told Joseph he was to name the baby Mary will deliver. So here's Mary's job. She will bear a son. And verse 21 says, here's Matthew's job, or here's Joseph's job. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save who? Who is it? His people from their sins. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here's here's our fourth one. Jesus is Savior. Come on. Tell somebody. Jesus is Savior. He is Savior. God broke in to this line to save Jesus' relatives. I love that. All of those in this list, plus all others who will believe in Jesus and who will follow him, The Savior saves us from the penalty of sin that we deserved. Verse 17 tells us there were 14 generations. um, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian removal, 14 generations from the Babylonian removal down to the birth of Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born on time. So there's your fifth one. Tell it. Jesus was born on time. He was born on time by God's perfect plan. Not only does God keep his word, but he's always on time. So far in my life, I've written one poem, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Wait on the Lord, and again I say wait. Because I know my Lord, and he's never been late. You can keep that one if you want, because I, I, can't, I can't do anything with it. 
Wait on the Lord because he's always on time. Jesus was born right on time. So that's the fifth one. The very careful wording in verse 16, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now understand that's going to be next week's passage, next week's sermon. But I want us to understand that the the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit who came on Mary, is the same Spirit of God of the Old Testament that was active all the time from creation. So the one that was born is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. And he took on that human form in Mary's womb, born as the God-man, with a human body and soul. Mary was a virgin at conception because no human being can rescue us. I don't know, I don't, I don't follow lately, but I used to follow the superheroes. I mean, anybody follow, what do they call them now? The Come on, you got, what, do they, what do they call all the superheroes now? The, I, I forget what they call them. But anyway, you know why they are so popular? And what they say theologically is, we're not able to save ourselves. We need somebody who has special abilities outside of human abilities to be able to save us. Amen. That's what we need to be able to save us. We need somebody from outside of us. We need God to save us because we cannot, we are incapable of saving ourselves. That took Jesus. And God can save us and God did save us. Verse 20, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 2, out of Egypt I have called my son. Chapter 3, verse 17, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The sixth one, then, is that Jesus is God. So one more. Tell it across the room. Jesus is God. Oh, well done. Full God and full man. We saw it in the scripture reading in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be, come on, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the best news about all six of these is, this Jesus is with us. He's with us, this Jesus. Matthew ends the book, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, who is Jesus? He is the Messiah who is promised, the Jew who understands, the King who rules, the Savior from our sins, the one on time, and he is God in flesh. This Jesus is Emmanuel. This Jesus is God with us. Is this the Jesus you know? Now, I'm sure most of you have probably thought of some of these things at least, if not all six of them. But is this the Jesus that you know? And do you see the gospel in this genealogy? I I love so many times when the gospel shows up when we kind of don't expect it. All those in this list are sinners, like us. They're all sinners like me. Now, maybe we haven't disobeyed God in the same way that they disobeyed God, but all of us have fallen short of glorifying God. And whether we sin like the kings did or whether we sin sin like the women did, no matter in what way we sin, God offers forgiveness. And not only does he offer forgiveness, but then he says, come on into my family. John 1.12, as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So not only are these people sinners, but they are brought into the line. 
Jesus is saving his own relatives in this line. How great and how gracious this God is. The relatives that are in the line of the Savior, that Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. Now, you, you did pretty well, especially by the sixth one of calling out and telling people what the six things were about Jesus, and I'm not going to ask you to repeat them all. I said you didn't have to do that. But what I would like to do is I would like to have up here, and I need some help for this, I would like to have up here a living timeline, which means I need Adam and Eve. I'm going to, I'm going to take this as eternity past. Okay, This is when God created everything. I need a couple people up here to be Adam and Eve. I need somebody else to be Abraham. I need somebody to be Jacob. I need somebody to be Judah. I need somebody, let's see, who else do I need here? I need, um, so if I have volunteers, you come up and I'll place you. Um, I need um, David. I need Isaiah. I need Jesus. And I need Paul. And I need you to stop by right about uh, here, okay? So can I have uh, eight people? Okay, there's one. You want to be Adam and Eve? You want to be Eve? You, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Okay, Eve, I need Abraham. Come on. Come on. Bring Joe. You want to be Abraham? Come stand, yeah, yeah, sure. some, come stand close here. Then next is uh, Jacob. And then Judah. I need Judah. I'm, I'm going to need several of you. In fact, eventually I want all of you to come up here. So, uh, <clears throat> so okay, there, there's Judah. Uh, and then I need David. Anybody want to be? Is there a David in the house? Come on up, David. All right. I need, I need David in the house here. I need uh, Isaiah. Is there an Isaiah in the house? All right. Isaiah, come on up. And then I, and then I need somebody to stand with the cross. Anybody willing to stand as the cross? And then I need Paul. I need the Apostle Paul up here. Okay. Please. Come on, you did good at speaking out. I need help up here. Somebody come and help me. All right. Thank you, Willie. All right. Come on up. Well, you, you could be Matthew if you want. I mean, that would be all right. This, this, that, that would be a really, okay. Now, so you see these. Now, what I want you to understand is this is God's line, that God set up this line. He put Adam here at the beginning, along with his beautiful wife, Eve. He put in uh, Abraham, and he put, uh, who you, you were, you were Abraham, no, he's Abraham, you're his grandson, Jacob, and you're Judah, and you're David, and Isaiah, and Matthew, about the time of the Gospels, and Paul, okay? Now, what I want you to understand is that every single one of the rest of us are right in here. Every one of us are on this same timeline, the same timeline that they are all on. God put us in this timeline right next to all of them. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, God works all things together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So God put us where we live. He put us who we are. He put us with our character, with our history, our background, our abilities, our weaknesses, our passions, the things that we like, the things that we don't like, even our sins. And God put you not in any of those places, but God put you and me right here before the end of time when he brings all things together under Jesus Christ. Where we live 
you can you can go back and sit down if you want. I I, I like that representation, and I appreciate that your your help on that. It's a very cooperative church. I, I appreciate that. Where we live, where we work, is not an accident. Where we work and where we live, because God puts us with people so that we can bring the light of the grace of God through Jesus wherever we go. Who do you know that does not yet know Jesus? Anybody know anybody that doesn't know Jesus? Yeah, we all do. Um, Jesus called us, God called us, called Linda and me when we moved to Louisville to live in a condo complex, and he put us there so that we can bring the light of Jesus to the people who live next to us, Jack and Nancy, people who live across from us, Doug and Vano, the people who live right behind us, Rachel. And God put us right there so that we can bring the light of Jesus to the people around us. And God gave us a team. Some of our team is here this morning. I won't mention your name, Joe, because you didn't want me to do that, so I, I, I won't mention your name. I know you'd appreciate that. But God gave us a team of people that, that believe in Jesus, and we are a team that God put in that place to represent the light of Jesus to the people around us who live around us. And that's our heart's prayer, that God would use us to bring the light of Jesus and his grace to those around us. Who do you know who needs Jesus? Maybe it's especially people that have gone through a loss recently, whether it's the loss of a job, whether it's the loss of a spouse or of a parent. They need the opportunity to hear about and to meet this Jesus, this Jesus who is Messiah, this Jesus who is a Jew, this Jesus who is King, this Jesus who is Savior, this Jesus who is right on time, and this Jesus who is, in fact, God. This Jesus is the one that the people around us need to know, they need to meet. And God put us where we are with all that we are so that we can bring the light of Jesus and bring the grace of Jesus to them. Jesus is the most important. I have here a puzzle. Uh, you might say this is a puzzle made by Ikea, okay, because you have to put all the pieces together, but that's the way any puzzle works. You're each, I want you each to take a piece of the puzzle, because what this puzzle represents is one piece represents each one of us. I'm a piece of a puzzle. Have you ever tried to put the puzzle together without being able to see the picture? Anybody ever done that? I mean, that, that's, that's a lot harder. Well, we don't get to see the picture, but we do know who sees the picture. God sees the picture, and he places us, and he shapes us exactly because no two of these pieces are exactly the same. They only, each one only fits in the spot where it was meant to be fitted, and that's where you and I are. We fit in the spot where God shaped us to fit into that spot, and he has that. The other thing about it is there's way more pieces in here than there are people here this morning. And again, that represents to us, it's not just about us. The puzzle, have you ever tried to put a piece together, a puzzle together, and one piece is missing? See, I used to be that kid that when they'd lay out the puzzle, I would take one of the pieces and put it in my pocket. <laughs> and then when they got the puzzle, oh no, there's one piece missing. I have it, because I got to put in the last piece, see? Every single piece in the puzzle is important. Every single one of us here this morning is important in God's picture. But only God sees the big picture. And the big picture is way beyond. That's why there's way more pieces in here than there are people here this morning. Because the picture goes way beyond just us. God has this for us.
He puts us among people who need to hear the unvarnished truth of our story. And God shapes our peace to fit into the big puzzle that only he can, that only he can see. So I hope you will, as well as calling out the names of who Jesus is, and as well as coming up and being a part of the living timeline, I want you to come up and take a piece. I'm just going to scatter them out here up front. I want you to come up and take a piece of the puzzle. Keep it in your pocket that wherever you go this week, it's to remind you that you are there. Like I said, doctor's offices. Oh, and have we been going to doctor's offices, you know? But we bring that piece of the puzzle that remind us that we're there because God shaped us to be there in that spot, not just for what they do for us, but as much as us bringing the message of the grace of God through Jesus to them as well. Whether you're a sophomore in high school, whether you're a business CEO, whether you're a laborer, whether you're a a school teacher, whether you're a doctor, you're retired, you're going to a nursing home or you work in a nursing home, I want you to take a breath when you go in there. Take a breath. Any door you go through, just take a breath and say, I'm here bringing this Jesus to this situation because somebody in here needs to know Jesus as I bring him to them. Can I pray for you this morning? Let me pray for you. And as I pray, I want you to picture somebody that you're going to be in contact with this coming week. Maybe it's somebody that lives around you. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Maybe it's somebody you're going to have coffee with or you're going to have lunch with or you you always, you see them regularly at the store. Father, my prayer is that that each one of us will, will bless those around us this week. The B, that we will begin by praying that God will open that person to, to you, to your work in their life. The L is that we will listen to them, that we will listen to their story. The E is that we will offer to eat with them or, or have coffee with them. The S is that we will serve them with what we hear from them of what their need is. And the last S and the final piece is our story. Father, just like the man in the Gospel of John, we used to be blind. Now we see and the difference is Jesus. May we be ready to share that story with those that we come to meet with this week after we've gone through praying for them, after we've gone through listening to them, after we've eaten with them or shared coffee with them, and after we serve them in what we hear from them. We ask that you will bless the message of the gospel through your people wherever we go this week as you have fitted us to be in that place to bring Jesus as he is to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name.